Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Conrad, a veterinarian and founder of The Paw Project. Conrad has operated as a tireless crusader against declawing cats for many, many years. I first interviewed her about it on Talking Animals in 2005, and she'd already been working on the issue for some time. In the ensuing years, she's made more appearances on this show than any other guest. The numerous interviews on the program underscore both the importance of the issue and the myriad ways she sought to communicate the anti-declaw message, including her formation of a multifaceted organization, The Paw Project. Conrad has also played a pivotal role in legislative efforts to impose declaw bans beginning in West Hollywood in 2003, up through the most recent legislative victories and inroads, including an anti-declaw bill in Massachusetts, which we'll discuss in a moment or two. And Conrad, again, a veterinarian and clearly an advocate, but not a filmmaker by trade, even made an acclaimed documentary film, also called The Paw Project, which chronicled an array of issues and experiences pertinent to the anti-declaw realm, often with the cinematic verb of political thriller. Today's conversation provides an opportunity to review some fundamental info about the declaw procedure that typically proves to be new and surprising for some folks each time. We'll also get an update of activities and accomplishments within the Pop Project Juggernaut, very much including legislative highlights. And as we move toward the end of 2021, maybe ask her a little bit to look into what 2022 may hold in terms of declaw efforts and legislation. All when I speak with Dr. Jennifer Conrad in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll speak briefly with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals, which this Saturday, November 20th, is holding a special screening of a special film. The movie is Gunda, which focuses on nature and farm animals, including the mother pig who gives the film its name. And Gunda is showing outdoors in a setting where you can also enjoy libations and vegan pizza. We'll hear more about this screening and this film later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss various topics related to declawing cats, or really not declawing cats, with Dr. Conrad. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Jennifer Conrad on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Dr. Conrad. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, returning once again to Talking Animals. Uh, kind of establishing the introduction that you've been working on hard on this declaw issue for the better part of two decades. But I was thinking and pre- preparing for today's conversation, and you know, some of its review and some of its hopefully new stuff, including some of the legislative stuff. But I couldn't remember exactly how you first got started on declaw. Like, what was the initial impetus? I was working at a wildlife sanctuary, and there were a variety of big cats who were declawed, and they were suffering from lameness, extraordinary lameness in some cases. And I asked the veterinarian who preceded me, what is happening here? And she said, well, that's just what happens when you declaw a cat. They become extraordinarily lame. And I thought, well, can't we do something about this? I mean, this is this is no, there's no quality of life cat who can't walk. Like, and so we took, uh, started taking these big cats to surgery. The first one was a big tiger. He was only four and a half years old. His name was um, Drifter. And we took him to surgery and started repairing his paws. And when he woke up, he was standing like a normal cat. And I thought, I wonder if he just can't feel his feet because we had numbed up his feet. Yeah, but he never sunk back down. You know, he had he had been walking almost like he had oven mitts on. You know, flat footed and yeah. just didn't want to go anywhere. And then we repaired his paws. You can't really repair them, but we revised the surgery, uh, which is what is a medical term where we go back in and try and clean it up. 
Mm-hmm. And he was so much better that I thought, wow, this is something I have to start doing. So then you continued doing that on big cats that you were caring for in one capacity or another. Yeah, we started doing it on, uh, I did it on tigers and leopards and cougars and jaguars. And they, lions, they were all doing so much better afterwards. And the whole time I was doing this, people asked me, what about domestic cats? And I thought, well, I'm sure they're suffering with the exact same thing because the paw is a paw. You know, like a, a big cat and a little cat look so much alike. Yeah. Uh, and so a paw is a paw. The, the anatomy is the same. And it's not a weight issue, believe it or not. The tigers and the lions, which weigh the most, often are better. with. They're doing better when they're declawed. Um, as far as lameness, then those smaller cats like cougars and bobcats seem to do the worst. So that's more like our domestic cat. And they, it was just so incredible to see how their lives transformed that we decided to do uh, start the paw project and raise money to, to fix the paws. And one day, a, a legislator, a legislative aide, his name is Hernan Molina, came to visit me at the uh, at the wildlife place, and he's like, I just found a declawed cat who lost his home, and I was, he was there visiting, and, and I had to repair the paws on a, a lioness named Nala, and she wouldn't let me take her bandages off, I think because her feet felt so much better after this surgery, so she wouldn't let me take the bandages off, and I was frustrated because I, just, I didn't want to have to knock her out again to take the bandages off. So I turned to her nan, Molina, and I said, why don't we just make it illegal to declaw? And then I don't have to keep repairing paws. And he was the deputy the mayor of West Hollywood, John Duran, and he said, yeah, let's do it. And so in 2003, we started on legislation to ban the declawing for domestic cats. So... If I follow this story, because uh, th- now that you talk about it, I think I've heard at least some portion of it before. But so while you were finishing up the procedure on this lioness and uh, Mr. Molina walked in. So when you said, hey, kind of like off the top of your head, it sounds like, why don't we just make this illegal? So were you thinking, was it intended to be like big cats and small cats when you said that? Or w- w- what did you actually mean at that moment? I just wanted... I wanted all the cats, big and small, to be protected by legislation to stop declawing. And the the lioness, Nala, she had had surgery three days before, and it was time to take her bandages off. But she was not going to let me take them off. I think it's because she woke up and she thought, hey, my paws don't hurt so much anymore. Right. And maybe it's because of these bandages. Yeah. So whatever. She wouldn't let me take them off. Yeah, she's probably because whatever you were about to do was going to return her to her previous uh, condition. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Right. So So since then, we've started on legislation in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I was going to get into this a bit later, but maybe now we're, we're, we're here. But I mean, really, anybody that spent much time um, in and around, you know, animal issues, animal welfare, et cetera, anything seeking to protect animals, knows that really the only way to affect meaningful change and truly protect animals is really through either creating or in some cases fortifying legislation. So it seems like even back then with that story you were telling uh, in, in 2003, like that was clearly the route that, and, and really the only probably significant route that was going to get there. 
I think so, because what happens, and we found it uh, more and more as we get farther and farther into stopping other veterinary clinics. Like, for instance, I don't know if I, if uh, listeners know, but VCA, which is a huge corporation, and Banfield, which is a huge corporation of, of veterinary clinics, they will not declaw cats. And so that's thousands of hospitals now that won't do it. Yeah. And, um, and so what happens, though, is that one veterinarian in a town will say, well, I'll be the one who declaws. And all the business for people who don't understand how mutilating it is for their cats to, to have them declawed, they'll go there. And so we, it has to be illegal. So it's an even playing field for all veterinarians. Yeah, because otherwise it sounds like in that scenario you just described, someone's going to sort of take the uh, the declaw overflow, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, and just say, well... Well, well so they, yeah, they'll put out coupons, and they often don't... Ex- they don't explain to the clients what declawing is. They'll put out coupons. They'll say they do it differently where they just take the nail. You know, for the listeners, they should know that declawing is actually an amputation of the last bone in a cat's toes. It is not some fancy manicure that a veterinarian does where they just ablate the nail tissue. No, they have to remove the, the claw by removing the bone because unlike our nails, which grow from skin, cat claws grow from bone. So to remove the claw, you have to remove the bone. And so I think for a lot of people for a long time, you just hit on kind of one of the key points, obviously, which uh, I know we've talked about in the past, but I think it's always worth repeating because some people weren't listening the time before or didn't register or they didn't have a cat, so they weren't really alert to this. But but the idea that it's, it sounds, like you say, like kind of like a neat little manicure or something, but it is an amputation at the like really the first knuckle. So if, again, if, if anybody just thinks like, hey, if we're just hanging around around all of a sudden somebody comes along and starts trying to like amputate your fingers uh at the first knuckle i think you'd kind of go nuts and so i guess we as pet people might initially have been sort of duped right i mean again it doesn't sound like at all what it is so if you're just going to the vet and maybe you've just adopted an animal or something you say well here's here's kind of our package for new cat people you wouldn't necessarily have reason to pause or say hey no way i'm not doing that because you wouldn't initially at least, know just the horrors that awaits that, that cat. Right. If, if the veterinarians were not calling it declawing, but were actually calling what it is, which is denuckling, I think people would say, I'm not going to denuckle my cat. Yeah. That's, that's, not, I, that's not right. But what happens is it gets in these kitten packages Oh, uh, as if it's the right thing to do, vaccine, spay, neuter, as if it's the right thing to do that these clawing gets in there, but it's, it's not the right thing. It's never the right thing to declaw a cat. There's so many ways to deal with cat scratching. Now, remember that a cat scratches the couch that you sit on because the cat is marking territory, saying, hey, this is my person. I love this person. This, no other cat is allowed to think that this person isn't owned by me, the cat. And so that's why they're scratching. But it's an act of love. And can you imagine that we return that by by denuckling them for doing that? Yeah, no, it's just horrible. And again, I, I just think as all the work that you and the PAW Project and, and others that have come to the same realization, if it was slow or, again, it's hard to, to know based on just semantics at first. And I guess it serves certain people because 
The other thing that I think we've touched on before one or more times is that it's unfortunate to put this in such mercenary terms, but isn't performing declaw surgery kind of like a fairly lucrative thing to do? Well, we've ha- we've surveyed veterinarians on how much they make declawing, and generally it's somewhere between two hundred and twelve hundred dollars. So they're supersizing the stay by throwing it in. Yeah. By saying, "Hey, you know, how about only one anesthesia, and we'll and we'll chop your cat's knuckles off <laughs> at, at the same time." And it's the wrong thing to do. And what's interesting is that veterinarians who voluntarily stop declawing actually make more money because people are searching for a humane veterinarian, and they want to see who. Who wouldn't do this to an animal? Yeah, well, that's, I guess, a, a product of, of all your efforts over all these years and all the people that, again, have kind of followed suit and echoed that message because now we're, <clears throat> people wouldn't necessarily, excuse me, <clears throat> have reason to know they're putting their cat through. <clears throat> they do know, and so they're looking for someone that doesn't perform that. And, like, here, that's going to be our new vet once they've gotten yeah. checked out on that. Exactly. Why not? Ha- why not choose a veterinarian? And, and by the way, pawproject.org has an extensive list of veterinarians who don't declaw. That's pawproject.org, and and uh, that list is you know veterinarians want to be on that list because they know people are searching for a veterinarian who actually cares about their animal and wouldn't do something that they that is so obviously wrong. And so veterinarians are making more money by not declawing and by declawing. And I think that's wonderful. And remember that the rest of the world doesn't declaw. And and we've been able to make it illegal in eight of the 10 Canadian provinces, and we're working on the last two hard. It's just harder when um, you have such a big they're they're governed differently, so they have uh, it's more it has to be more of a legal challenge compared to in other provinces. Believe it or not, the veterinarians themselves said, "Let's stop as a community," and and they have. Yeah, well, that seemed like that was kind of one of the recent things that had happened in uh, one of those provinces. And also, I guess we should mention because this seems like it fits right in that there are a lot of countries that have made this illegal years ago. Yeah, it's true, and many countries didn't even bother having to make it illegal because no one ever did it. It wasn't even an issue. Right. So they didn't have to make a law. But it's interesting that our colleagues in the U.K. call declawing unnecessary mutilation. That's how strong they, strongly they feel against it. And here in the United States, 25% of American cats are being declawed. So think about this. This is a surgery that supposedly is a last resort. Like you've tried all the humane alternatives and now you're so frustrated with the cat that you, it's a supposedly a human, I mean, the, the last resort, but 25% of American cats are declawed. That can't be a last resort. I think that if you look, you'll see people offering, veterinarians offering coupons and they offer declawing in a kitten package. How could that be a last resort? It's not. And and that's why we fight so hard. And we want to make sure that people who have cats understand this is never, it is never right to declaw a cat. There's no benefit at all for the cat. Never, ever. And if people say, well, I, I you know, have a thin-skinned grandma in my house and I don't want her to get scratched. Well, remember, it's absolutely in the literature that declawed cats bite more, and a bite wound is 
far worse than a scratch. And if they, if veterinarians say, well, I'd rather declaw the cat than have it lose its home. Well, remember that declawed cats lose their homes all the time. Why? Because they come home from the surgery. It hurts to dig in the litter box. Their paws have just had amputations, you know, on all the toes. It hurts to dig in the litter box. The cat's like, I'm never using this litter box again. And so if the person was intolerant of a cat being scratched, you know, scratching the couch, you can imagine how intolerant that cat, that person's going to be of the cat peeing on the couch. Or, and remember, they've lost their primary way of defending themselves. So now they're going to start biting. So, so declaw cats bite more and they use the litter box less. That is no, that is not a good outcome from a surgery. It's better just to find what your cat wants to scratch and give it to them. Right. And once again, we just see kind of the backwards uh, outcome, as you've just explained, where people think, hey, well, this is going to make things more uh, comfortable and, and uh, calm and tranquil at the house. And then some of the issues that we're having will be solved by this. And, of course, the reverse happens. And the next thing they'll know, people are saying, hey, I'm fed up with this cat peeing outside of the box. I'm, I'm fed up with the biting. I'm, there's risk of that. So we're taking this back to the shelter that we got it from or, or whatever they're going to do and relinquishing the cat. So, yeah, so the outcome is the exact opposite of what people would have might intuitively first thought, but it's but it's really wrong and it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, I guess. Let me just let folks know this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dr. Jennifer Conrad, a veterinarian, founder of the PAW Project, and whose advocacy for halting and banning the declawing of cats has spanned the better part of two decades and been expressed in all kinds of ways, and uh, a lot of legislative efforts. We're going to get into a few more of those in a moment. Even made a, a declaw-focused and acclaimed documentary film that dealt with a lot of these issues and more. So if you'd like to ask Dr. Conrad a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So Dr. Conrad, for just a little more context, so you mentioned kind of like, well, someone says, well, I have kind of a thin-skinned grandma, so so that's why we thought we should do the declaw thing. And we also mentioned that the cats, of course, scratch sometimes on couches just to sort of mark their ter- territory. So are those those kind of the chief reasons that people think, hey, let's declaw this cat? Are there other reasons as well? I think that they those are the two main reasons. The other reason I hear sometimes is that I've always declawed my cat, so I'm going to declaw this one. They People don't realize that as we know better, we do better in veterinary medicine, and we know better now. We know that the studies show that declawed cats bite more. They use the litter box less. They have more incidents of back pain, believe it or not, because that is um, how because they've had to change the way they walk, and they often overgroom themselves, which is kind of a behavior that cats do when they're in pain. They'll just lick their paws or lick their arms or lick their bellies, whatever it is. That, so all these things we know happen now worse than, um, than clawed. If a cat has its claws, it's not subject to, to these same uh, issues at the same rate. It's, it's proven that declawed cats have higher problems, um, and we know better. So we shouldn't be doing this surgery. The rest of the world has never really adopted this surgery except for the United States and Canada, and in the United States, it's 25% of cats. 
Wow. So I guess we should point out, since uh, as we began this conversation, you were sort of talking about your initial experience with the big tiger and sort of repairing uh, that paw, that that even by comparison, I mean, even on the big cats, there's a procedure that can improve their paws and their walking and their movement and just bearing weight. But as far as I know, there is really no counterpart for uh, domestic cats. Like once they've been declawed, you can't really go back or you can't do anything reparative to them. Do do I have that right? Well, that used to be what we thought because we didn't uh, think that the tiny paws of a little cat could be restored. But actually, Dr. Nicole Martel Moran in Houston is our uh, leading expert on repairing paws. And then we also have Dr. Kirsten Daub in uh, Salt Lake City, who is also doing a lot of of paw repair. And rescue groups bring in these cats who are unadoptable because they've been declawed and they're biting and they're not using the box and they're aggressive. And we put them on pain management and repair their paws. And 100% of them have become adoptable after we've intervened. So that's what the PAW Project does with the donations we get is we repair the paws of domestic cats and big cats too, but domestic cats mostly who have lost their homes. They're in a rescue group who doesn't have, they don't have the funds to repair the paws, but we do and we do this and it's really remarkable. 100% of the cats have found homes after their paws have been repaired. Wow. Well, that's really great. And I guess I would wonder just given the sheer number of cats that we know that have been declawed and of course a good percentage of those unfortunately have been relinquished or otherwise ended up back at a shelter how does the paw project triage those situations or or how do they what's the criteria for saying well there's x amount of cats here that have all been declawed we have only so many uh funds for the the surgery that you just described so how does that get determined Well, what we do is we put them up on our social media and we ask for donations. And so far, the American public has been very generous and said, you know, we want this cat to have a better life. The veterinarians who do the paw repairs, and we have them all over the country, they uh, do it at cost. So I don't want them to lose money in their hospitals, but they'll do it at cost and then we'll reimburse them. And we've done a lot of cats, probably uh, in the thousands now. Wow! And and every single one of them has become adoptable, which I which I hesitate to say because I hate to say one hundred percent of anything, but yeah. it's been true. And we're really excited to to continue this work. But what would be the best is if no one was declawing anymore, so we didn't have to do this. Right. And that's. That's why we continue with the legislation. And as you know, once people understand that declawing is actually denuckling and it has no benefit whatsoever to the human who has the cat, the cat itself, or even the the apartment or the house that has the cat because declawing can pee outside the box. So there's no benefit whatsoever. And uh, that's why we want to make it illegal because if people aren't educated on how bad it is, then it's better if the law protects them. For sure. So let's talk about, I guess, some recent de- anti-declaw kind of uh, legislation. So I, I mentioned, I think, in the introdu- introduction, Massachusetts, I guess, has a bill that's been approved, right, by committee at, at this point? or Right. It's still traveling through the, for the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, um, we have uh, 
the legislator there is Senator Montigny, and he he's he's a real champion for animals. Uh, and but we're so we're waiting to see how that goes. In uh, New Jersey, we have a bill. It's again being stalled. Now remember that you know why these bills get stalled. It's the veterinary medical associations. It's the trade organizations in the state who fight us vehemently on passing these bills. It's, they they are interested in protecting the bottom line for veterinarians. Right. And so, for instance, in California, the California VMA, Veterinary Medical Association, they have spent millions of dollars on squashing uh, anti-declaw legislation, millions of dollars, which could have been spent on repairing cat paws or doing something good for animals. But instead, they are protecting the right of the veterinarians to declaw, and that's what they choose to spend the money on. And I, I think that's so shameful. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, because, again, it, it seems like that's where the battle lines are drawn, and it seems like uh, protecting as we've already established, really kind of a profit center. Um, and it just sounds like no matter what, they don't want that to be eroded. But, I mean, it also seems like kind of the opposite of do no harm. Uh, it seems like you're almost advocating to do some harm. I think so, too. It's, it, it's actually denuckling a cat causes harm. No matter how they want to look at it, it causes the cat a lifetime of pain and it causes harm. So that's why we have to make it illegal. But for listeners out there who don't understand why it's so hard, it's because of the Veterinary Medical Association fighting us. They have money to lobby against us. We're a nonprofit. We don't have a lot of money to lobby, but we're doing our the best we can. And the best thing you can do as a listener and as an advocate for cats is make sure that your neighbors know what declawing is. Make sure that if you teach school, that the children know what declawing is. At church, make sure people understand what declawing is. And then they won't be doing it. And then veterinarians won't be making so much money from it. And then it will be easier to legislate it. Yeah. And again, I want to suggest once again, people go to pawproject.org for so much kind of information about this. And again, a list of vets who do not engage in, in the declaw uh, procedure and all kinds of other information, including things about campaigns. I mean, one one of the, uh, you know, as you keep talking about the denuckling thing, one of the campaigns that I, I always thought was super effective and still is, is um, I think it was, I don't know if I have the wording exactly right, but all those in favor of declawing, raise your hand. And you see this hand where all the the, the you know each finger is cut off at the knuckle and that's that's the hand that's being raised in support of uh, declaw which is uh, you know in, in a short amount of space and a few words I think is as powerful a message for educating what, what exactly we're talking about especially if you're coming to this kind of new and like geez I had no idea that I feel horrible it's pretty evocative at that point I think so I think that people if people love their animals then they wouldn't do this surgery. It's only because they don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. And veterinarians who do declaw don't want to say, hey, I'm going to denuckle your cat. Right. Okay. Just so you understand what we're about to do, let me explain it. Uh, that's yeah, that doesn't usually happen. Doesn't happen. Right. And the other thing I, I, I would, I guess it hasn't yet, but I would think when you're talking about California VMA or other big organizations that are, lobbying against and spending a lot of money to defeat any kind of legislative inroads here and there is on the other hand i would think with big 
uh, veterinary chains like Banfield that you mentioned and others, I would think that that would dilute some of those efforts by by those associations just because it's like, well, geez, if a big, big chain like Banfield saying, hey, we're not doing that anymore, it just seems like it'd be hard to say, well, this is a good practice and we should keep doing it, even though these gigantic corporate entity over here has stopped doing it. But I, I, don't, I guess that's you would, just... You would think, because as the industry changed, you would think that the veterinary medical associations would change with it yeah, and really reflect the industry. And VCA... And Banfield are giant corporations in, you know, as far as the industry goes, they're the biggest. Yeah. And they're not doing it anymore. But what, why the Veterinary Medical Association still feels like they have to protect it, protect the right of a veterinarian to amputate cat toes is beyond me. But it doesn't, it doesn't look good for them. And yeah. it doesn't look like they're, they really care about animals at all. They, all they're caring about is money. And that's why I think it's really important for the public to put pressure on these veterinary medical associations and saying, hey, why aren't you a leader instead of instead of defending torture to cats, which it is, it's mutilation yeah. to default, yeah. Instead of defending that, why don't you put your money towards programs to save cats and to keep them out of shelters by repairing their, their declawed paws or or education so people don't ask for decline. Why don't you do those things and why don't you support the legislation instead of fighting it? Because yeah. they're the only they're the only entity fighting the legislation. The only one. It's wow. really striking to have in for instance in two thousand nineteen we banned declawing in the state of New York. And we had hundreds of veterinarians on our side. We had um, fifty or more rescue groups who put their names on our side, big rescue groups like HSUS and Best Friends. They're on our side. Yeah. Believe it or not, though, this is interesting for listeners. The ASPCA condones, ultimately condones declawing. They do not, their position statement on declawing is they're against it, but they do not believe in legislation against it. So wow. they were, we, and they're located in New York and they were not helpful in banning declawing in New York. In fact, their legis- their position statement says that declaw bans don't work. Mm. And they do. Wow. They work so well. It's it's striking because these places that have banned declawing have all noticed that they're having fewer cats being dumped in the pound after the ban goes into effect. Yeah. Because, because the cats aren't peeing outside the box or biting people. So they're staying in their homes. So, Declaw bans actually save lives. They save cat lives. Yeah. And the ASPCA is not on board. Wow. That is uh, that is really damning and, and shameful. I mean, uh, and again, it sounds like now there's more and more opportunity for you and others at Plot Project and, and legislators as well to point to numbers and, and hard statistics to show kind of what happens to cats that are declawed and, and what happens when they're relinquished versus when they're not or when, in some cases, they're fortunate enough to be uh, treated to the, uh, the reparative surgery. And, uh, and then they do find homes. I mean, it all seems really clear just on a basic math and science basis. Well, there's no doubt that uh, 
the burden of proof should be on those who want to declaw, and they cannot prove that declawing is a benign surgery or that it helps cats or that it does any good. Yeah. They can't prove it, but they keep asking us to prove the other that way. it's a bad surgery. Yeah. And, and truly, they should have to prove it's a good surgery. It's not, and they can't prove it. But unfortunately, because it's become status quo and it's become in the vernacular of the American owner, you know, cat people that declawing is okay, some cat people, I guess, um, then the burden of proof has become fallen on us to prove it's bad, and it shouldn't be that way. They should have to prove it's good. For sure. Well, we've got a caller that's been holding for a moment or two. Let's get them involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Jennifer Conrad. Hey, good morning. Um, Thank you, Dr. Conrad, for really kind of enlightening us on this topic. Um, We inherited a sweetheart of a cat, a little tabby. She's probably, uh, we're guessing, maybe five, six years old. And she's been very good. She's um, very lovable. She hasn't exhibited any negative behaviors that we are aware of. I guess my question is, I want to be really um, aware because she doesn't have any claws. Um, Like I said, she's not biting at this point. She uses her litter box. But when you talked about, you know, pain and anything, I'm worried as she ages, is there anything that we should be watching for? Um, You know, any telltale signs that we might, I don't know, overlook, shrug off, or just not recognize that maybe some long-term consequence of having her little her little knuckles uh i've had a joint in my knuckle removed and it was not a pleasant experience so to imagine that she went through this with all of her front her digits is is just excruciating it's horrible so anything is there something we should be watching for as she ages well first of all let me say thank you for adopting her and and Uh yes there are lots of things now Remember that declawed cats uh, in the household, they very often get are on the lower lowest part of the totem pole because she can't defend herself the way that normal cats would. So I want to make sure that what, what we recommend is that you do a declaw-compliant household. So, uh, for instance, she can't climb vertically. And so what we say is put two cat trees next to each other so she can get up. Uh, you know, cats like to, to be able to survey their territories from high up, but since they can't climb vertically, it makes it easier if you put two together so she can jump back and forth and get to the top and get down without hurting, without a big jump to get down. Ramps to beds might help her. And sometimes what we recommend is that if you go and you go into pawproject.org and you find a no-declaw vet in our in your area that we have we very often have them do radiographs of the paws just to see what's left in there so we can anticipate what she's going to go through in the uh, in the long run and she's young right now and she's just as young people feel better with the amputations as they get older there can be more problems with it so we also recommend that if you've noticed that she starts liking only having, for instance, her head pet and not her back, that's the beginning of back pain. And there's lots of interventions for these things. You can do medications to 
alleviate pain, and you can do things like acupuncture or cold laser. There's all sorts of ways to alleviate those things, but I'm glad you have her because you're very obviously very in love with her and very astute to notice that she's okay right now. I would recommend that you also look at the bottom of her paws and you look at the pads, and normally uh, uh, the toes, as we call them, are oval-shaped. But in declawed cats, they begin to regress and become more like a little lentil, little round shape, and they're atrophying. And and that's a telltale sign that things are starting to change. And if you contact us at info at pawproject.org, we can also help you arrange a uh, Paw Project veterinarian to evaluate her paws and to help you. And we'll always be with you if you run into problems. You can always contact us, and we'll tell you how we deal with these things. Thank you so much. I I really do appreciate it, and I'm going to go on the website and learn uh, more about this because you were right. We love this cat. She is absolutely a sweetheart, and why they ever did this, I I will never understand. But, um, yeah, now I I know more about helping her age well. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. She's lucky to have you guys, and and thanks for a great question as well. Bye-bye. 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 So, Dr. Conner, we're nearing the end of our time together, so I just want to swing back. So we talked about Massachusetts has an anti-declaw bill. I think uh, one of the other things that uh, Pittsburgh, didn't they actually go for an, a full a full ban on declawing? Yeah, Pittsburgh recently passed it. The next one we're trying for is Madison, Wisconsin. So if you're in Madison, please contact us. We need your support. We have uh, legislation pending at different levels in, uh, as I said, New Jersey, California, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. We have a legislator, Scott Dibble, who's going to pass a bill, I hope, who that would prevent landlords from requiring declawing as a condition of tenancy. Uh, tenancy. Ar- um, Arizona, Maryland, and uh, any anybody who wants to help with the PAW project, please contact us because a lot of these bills come up from constituents, from people who live in a state or in a city, and they want to do it. And then that helps us because legislators like to hear from people who live in their jurisdiction. Sure. And also, Dr. Conrad, this might have been, I'm trying to think of when this was the timing of this. This might have been sort of before the pandemic. But at one point, I think, and I could be mistaken on this, there was some sort of encouraging progress somewhere, at least in Florida, if not Florida generally. Is Did that kind of get knocked down by some of the powerful lobbying that we've discussed, or is there any sort of... Yeah, unfortunately, Florida, we had possibly a bill. Uh, we did have a bill, but it got knocked down. And the, the problem with for everyone who, who wants to help, just realize that legislators are sticking their necks out by doing animal legislation. It, it gets made fun of because people think, oh, we have so many other things to worry about. And why are we worrying about the animals? But, but what we need is people to tell their legislators, this is what I care about. And they do. They call legislators. We have when we when we introduce legislation, legislators often remark on how they're getting forty or fifty times more input on an animal anti, actually an anti declaw bill than they get on anything else that they do. So legislators learn that people care about this. But but for the general public, please 
take make the effort to tell your legislators that you care and that this is important to you. Okay, that's that's exactly right. And, and I think we have just about reached the end of our time. I just want to read a quick email that just came in uh, that says, the subject line says, thank you, Dr. Conrad. And then it says, we've been listening and learning from you for years. Thank you for everything you do. So there's that. So we have been speaking with Dr. Jennifer Conrad. Again, the organization is The Paw Project. The website, which is so uh, comprehensive, all kinds of great information, is pawproject.org. So if you want to find out more and see if you can help out legislatively or just see where vets are that don't do the declaw thing or a myriad of other kinds of information, pawproject.org. So, Dr. Conrad, thank you once again for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you, Duncan. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. In a moment, I'll speak with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals, which is presenting a special outdoor screening of a special film called Gunda. Folks watching the movie can enjoy eats and drinks. We'll hear more about the Gunda screening in a moment. I want to also quickly take a moment to tell you about a kind of a cool holiday thing that the Humane Society of Tampa Bay is doing. It's kicking off the holiday season with a gift to those struggling to provide veterinary care for their pets. On Saturday, November 20th, that's obviously this Saturday, uh, vaccinations at no cost, let's put it that way, will be given to the first 1,000 dogs from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Perry Harvey Senior Park in downtown Tampa. And the society will also be giving away uh, no-cost pet food on a first-come-first-served basis. Feeding Tampa will also be at the event with resources for those in need, and Hillsborough County Pet Resource Center will be on site to give away uh, no-cost licenses the pets receiving their vaccinations. So great, great setup for great opportunity. Go to humanesocietytampa.org slash events to find out more. All right, so let's uh, jump in now to the Comedy Corner with a cat-related piece by Kyle Kinane. Here's a piece I'm calling Cat Sneeze from Kyle Kinane. In today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Like, this is where I'm at socially. If to explain where I'm at on the social spectrum, I recently said God bless you to a cat. Like, I, I was alone in a room with a cat for a while. Like, not even just a brief moment, like an incident. Like, this was a whole afternoon. Not my room, not my cat. But I was fine with this arrangement. Like, this is what I can handle. Me and somebody else's cat, both of us just staring at walls, looking for answers. And the cat sneezed, and then it was quiet. And that's what made it worse. Because if it would have just sneezed, it would be like, oh, God bless you. And then, well, you don't need that. You're a cat. We would have laughed. It would have been fine. But instead, there was a sneeze, and then it was just that moment of just me sitting like, how do I play this right now? Do I say something? I was raised right. I have loving, porno-shopping parents <laughs> that instilled values in me. It's like, yeah, but it's a cat. <laughs> F*** it, I'm going for it. <laughs> so I turned to it. It's like, God bless you, cat. I didn't even know its name. I was just opening up for once. It's like, God bless you, cat. And the cat turned and looked at me, because that's what cats do. They look at the origin of sound. <laughs> but they have very judgmental faces. 
So everything in that cat's expression was just like, why would you say that? That was Kyle Kinane in today's Comedy Corner with a piece I'm calling Cat Sneeze, taken from an appearance on Comedy Central. Now it's time to speak with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals about the special outdoor screening happening this Saturday, November 20th. Here's Helene Greenberg on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Helene. Good morning. Actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's still morning. How are you? Yeah, it is still morning. I think technically we can call it morning for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So this event is produced by Florida Voices for Animals. So to start, for those listening who may not be uh, familiar with FVA, give us maybe just a brief overview, an elevator pitch on, on what Florida Voices for Animals is and what it does. No problem. It's a local nonprofit in servicing Western Central Florida based in Tampa Bay. And the two primary mission statements are to educate the public about the abuses that animals go through and what the public can do to help and to promote the awesome health benefits of vegan lifestyle. All right. Well, I think that uh, covers it very succinctly, beautifully. Uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the film that's being screened Saturday, Gunda. Tell me about it. Well, Gunda, it's really a remarkable film because it's not like anything that you'll ever see, like any film that you've ever seen in a theater or anywhere else for that matter. Wow. The stakes yeah. are high here, uh, Helene. You gotta, you gotta follow up on that with some more details then. Because it just, it just focuses on the animals and their lives, and and that's the whole film. And if I remember correctly, I think it might be in black and white for some of it. And I can't remember if I saw it, but it's their lives, and there's no talking. Yeah. Just it's the animals talking. And it's talking really animals, fun. what better place to talk about that than on a show called Talking Animals? Now we're now we're right right where we should be, Helene. We are rightly aligned. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. And you know, if you ever want to take a look at what the lives are like of farm farmed animals, then this is the film to watch. And if you like fundraising and helping a nonprofit organization, you do that at the same time, plus vegan beer and vegan pizza. All these things are happening on Saturday. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, so I kind of mentioned once or twice that it's outdoors, but let, let's hit the key details just so uh, we make sure we don't run out of time without letting everybody know the main things they need to. So, again, it's this Saturday, November 20th. I believe the time is 6.30 p.m.? The time is at 6.30. Okay. And the where is – go ahead. It's the Hob Brewing Company. It's 931 Huntley Avenue in, in how do you say it? Dunedin? Dunedin, yeah. Dunedin, Dunedin, Florida. Okay. Yep, and you can go to floridavoicesforanimals.org for more information and oh. to donate. Okay, cool, because we, uh, we can't necessarily mention the ticket price on air here, but it, yep. it, is, it is a fundraiser for Florida Voices for Animals. And I think in addition to that, and again, you can just kind of bring a chair. You could just set up shop. It's, it's outdoors. It's going to be really a cool, cool evening, it sounds like. And you can bring a blanket if it's going to be a bit chilly, whatever you'd like to do. So it just sounds very uh, cozy and nice and like a, a great film to, to be watching under those circumstances. And then also, we're almost out, out of, nearing the end of our time here, Helene, but uh, I think there's also a raffle that's happening at, at the screening or part of that. There is. For every person that donates ahead of time, they'll get a free entry into the raffle. There'll be a prize from Follow Your Heart. It'll be a prize pack from Follow Your Heart and a gift card from virtualvegfest.com or two of the prizes that we've secured for the event. And 
you know, Tampa Bay Veg Fest didn't happen this year. So that's a big fundraising portion for Florida Voices for Animals. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to do a little bit more and get the community involved and have people come out and support so that, you know, next year <laughs> when when Tampa Bay Veg Fest happens, you know, well, you know, the funds will be there. <laughs> yeah. And we can, you know, to have a fantastic event. So these little events really help to carry the nonprofit through the whole year. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's probably implied now, but we should just mention, because a lot of people listening, I think, have been to uh, Veg Fest over the years, and, and it's a fantastic event. But that is one of the, the biggies that Florida Voices for Animals does put on each year when, when there's not a pandemic uh, getting in their way. So hopefully exactly. we'll be back in action in 2022 with any luck. So uh, yet another reason to uh, come out to the screening and support them and uh, get involved with the raffle, etc. So Helene, thank you so much for making the time to fill us in on, on the screening and on Florida Voices for Animals. And it sounds like it's just going to be a great night. Oh, definitely. I mean, what better way to spend your Saturday evening than drinking beer and eating pizza and watching a film? That's right. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. No, thank you so much for having us. Okay, cool. All right. So it's time for Name That Animal Tune. So as a prize for Name That Animal, we're offering a, something pretty fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. An octopus's garden in the shade. All right, can you name that animal tune? We'll take your guess when we get off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday for another edition of the show. Also, invite you to visit talkinganimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too, as well as other podcast platforms. Also links to our social media pages, our Facebook page, Instagram page, or Twitter feed, and more. And please like us on those things or check them out. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out more about our guests uh, a little bit, a couple days beforehand, and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. And again, our thanks to Dr. Jennifer Conrad for joining us again on Talking Animals and also to Helene Greenberg for joining us as well. So we'll see you next uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwatchi, and beyond. NPR News headlines next. And then the fabulous Scott Elliott with all kinds of great music.